Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. We're coming to the close of Genesis, but also uh, the close of uh, Jacob's life. He's blessing his sons here in these passages. And we could easily just kind of skip through this part and not really dig into it. Uh, But as I was digging into it, I was like, wow, there's really, really good stuff in here. Um, There is major statements uh, about who God is in here. Um, If you remember uh, when we first started Genesis, anybody remember that? Seems like a while ago. Um, I proposed to you something that I've heard from Scripture that all major theological um, doctrines in the Bible are introduced in Genesis. Um, And actually, in today's passage, we have a couple of things that this is the first time that they're mentioned in Scripture. Um, And so uh, we're going to kind of latch on to those and pull those out today. Uh, So I want us to to go ahead, let's jump in together. Genesis chapter 48. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and I'll give you this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that, are, that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paden uh, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way. And when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. He said, and he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed uh, them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the hand of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the hand of Manasseh. Crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. 
And when Joseph saw that his father had his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. And then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given uh, to you rather than your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. So this is kind of a a funny story of, uh, you know, Israel as an old man, and uh, he seems very old man-ish here, Um, and he's... His son thinks he's getting confused and he's crossing his hands to bless the the boys um, when in in fact he's doing that on purpose. And that takes us back to him and his brother, right? And the blessing that he stole from his older brother. And as the younger brother, he received the blessing. and, And here he is at the end of his life and he's crossing his hands to bless the younger over the over the older, um, in a, in a greater way. And, uh, and so it's, it's kind of a, a comical story in that way. And, and we do see, uh, through history how, yeah, the two tribes came out of these two boys and, um, and the one, the younger one was the, the larger tribe, the more kind of influential tribe than the other. So we see all of that, but what I want us to dig into was specifically in his blessing, He said this in verse 16, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. This is the first time in scripture that we see the word redeem used is here in this passage. And and so that, that introduces a very important biblical theme. And Jacob here is recognizing the fact that his life was marked by evil. He was wrapped up in evil, but he has been redeemed from it. He has been marked clean. He's been washed clean. That's been taken away. He's been given a new lease on life. There's a change. There's something that's happened in him. And it's, it's called redemption. And so... Those of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can identify with this. This once was my life, but this now is my life. I've been redeemed. That, that's kind of a, we're using it in a churchy word sense, but uh, if you use that, that word um, in a regular usage, uh, let's think about what do we redeem today? Um, we redeem coupons, right? Anybody, any couponers? Okay, we've got some couponers among us. Uh, when we, you redeem a coupon, what do you do? You go in and you trade it in for its value, for its worth, and you get what was the, the better thing out of the deal, right? You go in with a little stinking piece of paper or, or an app on your phone or whatever it is now, um, and you get back uh, something that's of value, right? 
And that's what God does with us. He goes in and he, he takes our filth and our, our, our garbage and what's really not worth anything and he redeems it. He takes away all of the bad and he puts good in its place. He does that through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he redeems us. Now, a lot of uh, theological confusion comes in in the way that Jacob refers to it here, though. Um, who does he attribute to his redemption? The angel. Now, this seems very confusing to Bible scholars, which all of you are, because you're here. Um, because we know that there's only one who can redeem, right? It's only by the blood of Jesus. Only Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, can redeem. So why, why would Jacob here say the angel? Well, this takes us back to when, when was the moment in Jacob's life when he would look to and say, that's when I was redeemed. Yeah, so when he wrestles, he has, he has that whole moment we, we looked at where um, he's about to meet back up with his brother Esau. He's scared. Esau's coming out with a whole army of men to come meet him. And when he left Esau, Esau wanted to kill him. So he's like, oh, no, this isn't good. So he's like up praying all night and he's freaking out um, in the middle of his, his overnight prayer time. Uh, this, this angel or man appears and they wrestle all night. And then it was out of that, that experience uh, that he is changed from Jacob to Israel. Um, it is out of that experience that he is a new man. It's, it's after that we see in his character and everything in scripture that he has changed, that there's a difference about him um, after that experience. Um, and so I believe in his mind, he goes back to that moment and he says, that's when I was redeemed. And it has to do with wrestling with that person. And that's where a lot of people, biblical scholars will say, well, it's a good chance that that person actually was the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity, right? So there's a bunch of theological terms for you. What that means is Jesus before he was born, all right? So Jesus before he was born was the one who showed up and wrestled him. Uh, they think that Jesus also showed up um, as the one who's traveling on the road and with, with Abraham and he's going down um, and makes the whole deal about Sodom and Gomorrah and all of that relating to Lot with Abraham, that whole story. Um, so we, we have these different passages in Genesis where, where it looks like that Jesus himself is showing up and interacting with man even at that point before he comes um, in the future. And so if we have that understanding, then it gives us no theological problems uh, to him saying, the angel who redeemed me. Because he doesn't fully understand all of who Jesus is and what's going to come after him and how all of that's going to transpire. But he does know, hey, I wrestled with this guy who I called angel because he was not of this world. And after that, I was redeemed. After that, I was chained. After that, there was something different about me. And I want to ask you, do you have that moment in your life where you can look back on and you can say, after that moment, I was changed. After that moment, I was redeemed. After that moment, there was a, a switch that had happened. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Can you say that in your life? Can you point to that? For some of us, that's, that's a, a, a moment. Like it's a like, whoa, it was right here that at this moment in this place, I know exactly that that's where that happened. For others of us, it's, it's a time period. 
we look back on it, it's like, before this, no, evil, marked by evil. After this, redeemed by evil. Somewhere in there, change happened. Don't know the exact moment, but it happened. And I want to encourage you that both are okay. So, so some people really get into, you got to have the exact moment down that, that it happened. And, and I just want to encourage you that, well, no, not necessarily. What scripture tells us is the more important thing is, can you tell by your life that it happened? Is there marks of change in your life? Is there fruit in your life and that's coming from your life that shows that, hey, you have been redeemed. There is a difference in your life than there was before. If not, then that's a thing of concern. If not, then your, your life is still marked by evil and you need Jesus. But what we see here being introduced by, by Jacob in this passage is the fact that God is a God who redeems from evil. God is a God who redeems from evil. Another thing uh, that comes up a lot in scripture that, that comes in first in this passage was just before this in verse 15. Um, it says, and he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. And then he says this, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. This is the first time in scripture we start to see God pictured as a shepherd. And who, who more fitting than Jacob who lived his whole life as a shepherd who knew everything about taking care of sheep and knew everything about uh, taking care of them and all of that and what all, all the work that was involved in it and how badly they need a shepherd. And so he looks at, at his life and he's like, yeah, that's what God's done for me. That's who God has been for me. He has, he has been my shepherd. He has taken care of me. Um, he has watched over me. He has provided for me. He's made sure I have what I need. Um, and he is good in that. And this is another thing that we see, theme that we see throughout scripture of God as a shepherd. It's going to come up again in, in ch chapter 49. So I'm going to, we're going to move on. Uh, but so just kind of file that away. But we're going to come back to this theme of God as shepherd in a bit. So let's jump into Genesis 49 now. Then Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. This is sounding good, right? It sounds good for Reuben. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. And so this brings back one of those weird stories we saw in Genesis where we're like, all right, why is this in here? Well, it's in there to, to tell us why this is in here. And so that we can look at that and we see, oh, this is why things worked out the way that they did. And so we're going to see here with Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, all three of these, how these, these kind of weird stories we saw in Genesis, how their actions in those stories affect what's going to happen for generations to come. And so Reuben here is basically replaced as having the privilege of the firstborn. Because uh, do you remember what the, the privilege of the firstborn was, the birthright? 
They would get a double portion of the inheritance, right? So what Jacob has just done in Genesis 48 going into 49 is he has officially made Joseph into that position. He did it by taking Joseph's two sons and adopting them as his own so that Ephraim and Manasseh are now in the group to to inherit. And so Joseph's portion now is basically three uh, up against all of his brothers getting one. And so, so in that, uh, Jacob has, has already kind of done the whole birthright thing to give it to the son that he wants to give it to anyway. So, uh, going on, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Do you guys remember what he's talking about here? What happened with Simeon and Levi? Yeah, so Robin's all over it today, man. Um, but yeah, so their sister had this whole thing. And, uh, and so in the end, to avenge their sister, uh, they go and massacre a whole town of men, right? They kill all the guys in this, this whole village. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. He's almost disowning them. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. What happened with the tribe of Simeon and the tribe of Levi? The tribe of Simeon basically becomes nothing. They get absorbed into the tribe of Judah. Um, They are basically no more before very long in, in history. Tribe of Levi, however, who were they? They were the priests. They had no land of their own. They were scattered throughout Israel in little separate villages that were just for them. And so in that, we see again what Jacob is saying here happened. Um, and it happened in a, in a way that, uh, that God intended it to so I don't know what that means when you relate being a priest with being cursed, but um, anyway, uh, moving on, we get to a good one now. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies and your father's son shall bow down before you. What have we seen from Judah? We've seen Judah be a man mixed up and wrongdoing, and filth, and evil. But then we saw him kind of change and almost be redeemed, if we can go there, with the whole encounter with Joseph. When they're going to get their food, and he makes the promise to his father that he's going to take care of Benjamin and bring Benjamin back. And then when it's not looking good for Benjamin, he throws himself in the line and says, no, take me instead. And he pleads before Joseph and all of that. And we see this change that's happened in Judah. We see this, this morph that's happened in him. And, and out of that comes this blessing over Judah. It says, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, 
nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and the donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So we see Judah here. And who is he really talking about? We see Jesus all in this. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's one of, the, one of his names that we know him as. And here, even as he's prophesying about Judah, he says, Judah is a lion's cub. Um, but he goes on and he says, the scepter, which that's the ruling staff, shall not depart from Judah. It shall be between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Who is that? It's Jesus. Jesus is the ruler. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one who's going to be on the throne for all of eternity. We see that he's ruling and reigning today, and he's going to continue to do so, and all will bow down to him. Let me ask those of you with agricultural experience. How smart does this sound to you? Binding or tying his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. How many of you know what a donkey's colt is like? They're crazy. All right? They're crazy. They, especially if you try to tie them up, what are they going to do? They're going to buck and tear and try to get away from it. Well, now, what do you know about a vine? Is it the most stable of plants? If you tie a bucking animal to your choice vine, what's going to happen to your choice vine? It is not going to work out well. I do not think you're going to have a crop anymore. Right? But yet in this prophecy, he's pointing to the majesty of this one that's to come. That look, hey, he can even take a little donkey and tie it to a vine. And we actually see this in Jesus' life in, in the fact um, of what we call the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday, uh, where he's riding in into town on what? The colt of a donkey, which has never been ridden before. One of my favorite miracles in the Bible. We don't even attribute it as a miracle a lot of times. Jesus just takes a, an unbroken animal and says, hey, I'm riding you into town. Let's go. And the animal's like, okay, sounds good. Oh, people are all running around screaming and throwing stuff in front of me. No problem. I'll just keep walking where you want me to go, Jesus, right? Like it just shows his, his magnificence and who he is and who Jesus is and the great things that he can do. And even here, Jacob is, is prophesying over Judah's line in this way that, hey, here's what's to come from you. This is what we have to look forward to. And that's Jesus. It goes on, uh, verse 13. We're going to kind of, for sake of time, roll through some of these other sons. We won't dig into them as much. But Zebulun shall dwell in the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. That's where their land ended up being. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people. You know, one of the judges 
Samson, probably the most famous one. So the tribe of Dan. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels. So that his rider falls backwards. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. And then we're here to Joseph. So let's jump into Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile in the hands of the mighty, by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessing of the the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart before his brothers. So what is he saying? He's saying, hey, Joseph has has taken on the arrows in his life. He's had a rough life. Arrows have been fired at him by his brothers, by Potiphar's wife, by Potiphar, by people in prison, by all of that. That whole thing was just arrows coming at him, and yet he remained steadfast. He remained faithful. And in that, who does Jacob give credit to? says, by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. This has all happened by God's hand. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. So here we, we bring that, that, that theme of God as shepherd back in, but we also bring in the theme of being the stone. Who do we know as Christians to be the cornerstone? Jesus, once again. So here, again, I think Jacob is pointing to Jesus and he's saying, here's how Jesus is already at work here in our time. This is how he's already been working, taking care of my son. As all these arrows were fired at him, he preserved him, he took care of him, and he shepherded him. I wanted to take this opportunity to go and see what Jesus said about being a shepherd. And so if you'll indulge me, we're going to go over to John chapter 10. In John 10, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leaves them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus is saying, Hey, I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. And those of us who know him to be our shepherd know that that is the the key thing. If Jesus had not died on the cross for us, we would be without hope. But he did. He died on the cross. He laid down his life. But just as he laid it down, he took it back up again. And he is alive and well today. And he is leading and guiding, and he does so by his voice. And those of us who know him know that what we need is to listen to his voice, to listen to where he leads us, to listen to where he guides us, because Jesus is the good shepherd, and he leads, and we follow. I thought that was a very fitting application and point for us as a church as we're going to go into a meeting later today. But we're talking about where are we going as a church? Because the most important thing in answering that question is where is he leading us? Where is his voice saying, hey, come here. Come this way. I think he, even in our context, says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I know I'm, I'm a little, taking a little liberty with that passage, but I think he, in our context, he says, I have other sheep that are not in this room right now, that I want to be in this body, in this part of my flock, represented here. And I think that, that Jesus is leading in that way and he's, he's calling us in that direction. And so we as a church have conversations to have about how we're going to see that happen. What steps we need to take, what direction we need to go in following him. But he speaks, he leads, we follow. Let's just close out Genesis 49. And last week we really dug into his plans for his death. He goes into that again here and his burial and all that. So we won't really unpack it today. If you weren't here last week, you can listen to it online. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with his blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephraim the Hittite. In the cave that is in the field of Machpeth, uh, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan. 
which Abraham bought with a field from Ephraim the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah and his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were, were bought from the Hittites. And when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into his bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So this is the end of Jacob as far as this world knows him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. We thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you that you are a God who redeems. We thank you that you are the cornerstone on which our lives can be built. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Lord, as we enter into a time of of communion, the Lord's Supper, let us reflect on our lives and what it is, the price that you paid for us. Let us think clearly about your goodness, your faithfulness, your grace, your redemption. Remind us of these things in our lives and show us these things before you. Pray all of this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel yourself.